This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Uh, let me congratulate all the nominees before us today on your nominations. Let me welcome your family members and friends who are part of the sacrifice of uh, serving. Whether in the Western Hemisphere or the Middle East, your service will come at a challenging time for the United States. We are facing growing instability and competition around the world. That's why our diplomatic engagement, our cooperation with allies and partners, our efforts to counter the coercive policies of authoritarian states, these are more critical than ever for U.S. national security. Now, despite this, we see House Republicans hurtling towards debt default. Their plan would not only undermine the United States' ability to compete with China, but by cutting funding for the State Department, USAID, and other agencies on the front lines, it would undermine our ability to protect and advance U.S. foreign policy. I hope today's nominees uh, will not take this lack of commitment to advancing American interests uh, on the part of those who view that as the appropriate path as a reflection of our committee's respect for the work that you do all over the world. Indeed, the post today's nominees must feel are critical, and I want to thank each of you and, as I said, your families for your willingness to serve our country. Mr. Brown, Ecuador is experiencing a political turbulence that has implications for democracy and the Americans. President Lasso is as close a partner of the United States as you can get. President Biden received him at the White House in December. That same week, Congress passed my U.S.-Ecuador Partnership Act to deepen cooperation between our two countries. The United States must always stand with democratic leaders who share our values and work to improve the quality of life for their citizens. We need an ambassador that will work with President Lasso to confront organized crime and drug trafficking, to support his efforts to address climate change and protect Ecuador's environment for all of its citizens, and support our governments and our private sectors to work together to promote inclusive economic growth for both nations. And I look forward to hearing you on that. Uh, Ms. Sitek Ramnath, is that the correct um, pronunciation? Siptek Ramnath. Siptek. Siptek yes. Ramnath. Okay. If confirmed, you will be taking over the U.S. Embassy in Lima, as the country has been rocked by protests that have left more than 50 people dead. In December, Peru raised a significant political crisis when former President Castillo resorted to unconstitutional measures in an illegal attempt to dissolve Peru's Congress. President Castillo was legally removed from office, but political tensions remain. I look forward to hearing from you about how the United States can best engage diplomatically in this context, and how you'll work to strengthen the principles shared by our countries, as well as address the mutual concerns of our citizens. Mr. Nice, uh, the assignment to Bridgetown is incredibly important. You would not only serve as our representative to Barbados, but also as our ambassador to Antigua, Barbuda, Dominica, Grenada, St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia, St. Vincent, and the Grenadines. But you only get one salary, just want you to know. Uh, at the time of growing geopolitical competition, it's incredibly important that we double down on our relationships with our closest democratic partners, including our neighbors in the Caribbean. We must continue to advance our relationship based on our shared values, economic times, and the bonds between our people. I look forward to hearing about how the United States can further strengthen our relationship with the governments of Barbados and Prime Minister Mia Motley, who is a global leader on climate change and the environment. This is an incredibly important assignment because of the breadth and scope, and each of those countries have a vote uh, in some of our, as uh, Senator Cantwell has pointed out to us on several times. Uh, Ms. Lempert, I'm, I'm proud um, 
and pleased to see you are the President's nominee to our Ambassador to Jordan, a longstanding strategic U.S. partner in the region. As someone who has spent her entire public service career working on issues facing the Middle East for both Republican and Democratic administrations, whether it was your leadership as the key U.S. negotiator of the 10-year Memorandum of Understanding between the United States and Israel, securing the largest package of assistance in the history of our bilateral relationship, or your work to build on the historic Abraham Accords as the administration's point person on the negative framework, your experiences will serve you well in leading our embassy in Amman. I'm a lifelong advocate for a strong U.S.-Israel relationship, and I know you are as well. And I look forward to your leadership as we build even stronger relationships between Israel and her, and her neighbors, including Jordan. In closing, I must note that uh, there is uh, one nominee uh, not on this panel uh, that I hope we can get to at some point. Um, a couple of our colleagues have consistently come up to me, uh, and that's Ambassador Jean Manns for Colombia. She is a consummate diplomat, professional. It's been nearly a year since our former ambassador departed Bogota. The U.S.-Colombia relationship is too important not to have a confirmed ambassador. I want to note uh, that the committee has received letters of support for Ambassador Mounds from the former SOUTHCON commander, Craig Fowler, former Assistant Secretary Roger Noriega, former U.S. ambassadors to Colombia, Ann Patterson, William Brownfield, and Kevin Whitaker. And uh, I'd ask unanimous consent that they be included in the record. Without objection, so hopefully we can get to her at some point. Senator Risch. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I appreciate those remarks, and uh, I'm going to start uh, with the uh, nomination of Ambassador to Ecuador. Ecuador uh, is a democratic partner facing immense pressures from uh, political forces controlled by uh, former President Correa. Uh, bad Chinese deals made by Korea a decade ago, and violent Mexican cartels seeking access to Europe through the uh, Ecuadorian ports. The United States has a national interest in a stable and prosperous Ecuador. As such, I have joined uh, Chairman uh, Menendez on legislative efforts to deepen our economic relations and security cooperation with Ecuador. I look forward to hearing from Mr. Brown on how the United States can best support Ecuador as it works to successfully emerge from these crises. On the nomination of Ambassador to Peru, Peru is another democratic partner facing a decade-long political crisis worsened uh, by President uh, Castillo's failed uh, self-coup attempt in December. Economic and social pressures related to the regional illegal uh, migration crisis and growing security threats uh, from transnational organized crime. I, I hope to hear from the nominee how her experiences in other challenging places, as, such as Mexico and Mali, will inform her priorities and efforts in Lima. Turning to the nomination of Ambassador to Barbados and the long list of other uh, countries, uh, that uh, the nominee will represent us in the United States has enjoyed a strong and mutually beneficial relations with the nations of the Eastern Caribbean for a very long time. Their stable democracies are an example for the rest of the continent. We certainly hope that uh, stays that way. Uh, overall in the region, despite our shared democratic values, uh, the region is a battleground against malign influences from China and transnational criminal organizations. I look forward to hearing from uh, the nominee on how we can uh, maximize our shared values and interest to keep the Caribbean an open and thriving part of the Americas. Finally, uh, turning to the nomination of uh, Ambassador to Jordan, the Kingdom is an essential U.S. partner in an often turbulent region. Uh, region. 
it's clear the Middle East is uh, rapidly changing and strategic competition is alive and well. I think uh, uh, the king uh, who meets with us regularly, uh, both myself and the, and the chairman, uh, works very hard to keep our relationship strong. Uh, we want to keep it that way. As China continues to make inroads with our long-standing partners, it's vitally important that we have diplomats who are ready to roll up their sleeves and compete uh, in the Middle East, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on that. Uh, as to the uh, main, uh, Maine's uh, Columbia nomination, Mr. Chairman, thank you for your remarks. I'm subject to the same uh, input that you are regarding the nomination from uh, some of our members, but I'm getting it both ways, and I have to say that uh, the, our, our staff on our side has received complaints about Ms. Maine's leadership ability, interagency management style and judgment while serving as ambassador in charge uh, in uh, El Salvador. These are serious matters that we're continuing to look into. Uh, moreover, the state IG conducted a board of investigation into her questionable leadership and judgment. While state, uh, while the state IG recently closed this investigation, I'm really disturbed that the Maine's was not forthcoming about the nature of the IG investigation uh, on her questionnaire or in the meetings with my staff. We all know Columbia is critically important post. It requires the highest levels of leadership skill and interagency cooperation, and there are indications there that the country is not going in a good direction that we'd like to see. Given the aforementioned concerns, I have more vetting work to do uh, before putting her on a hearing, and I'm, I'm not going to commit uh, to that, uh, to, uh, uh, to agreeing to the hearing, but you and I will discuss that some more. I will work in good faith in that regard. But there, I, I want to underscore the concerns I've got. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, thank you, Senator Rich, for those remarks. Let me just say, uh, with reference to Ambassador Maines, um, of course I respect uh, your prerogative and your right to have uh, serious vetting. It just, I just hope that at some point the vetting can come to a conclusion, whatever that conclusion is, and that uh, we bring the nominee before the committee and ask her tough questions uh, at the end of the day and that she has her hearing. Um, but uh, I'll look forward to working with you to get to that point. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, we have the distinguished chair of the Commerce Committee with us to introduce one of our nominees, so we're going to recognize Senator Cantwell first. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to you and Ranking Member Risch for holding this hearing today and for putting the nomination of Roger Nias before the committee. I represent one of the most trade-dependent states in the United States. To me, this committee is a very important committee in furthering the agenda of opening up markets and having good relations around the globe. I will say, as the chair of the uh, Chips and Science Conference report, one of my big laments is that we were not able to get over the goal line the very important work that this committee contributed, particularly in the Indo-Pacific area, and it's my hope that we will be able to do that this year. So look forward to working with you. I want to thank you for allowing me to introduce Roger Nias, who I have worked with and known for many years and wholeheartedly support his nomination to the U.S. Ambassador to the Seven Sovereign Nations of the Eastern Caribbean. Roger has made a mark in Washington as a business and civic leader, also an advocate for the LGBT community, his Native American tribe, the Chinook Nation, and many others. As a professional communicator, his core skills as an ambassador, I think, will be to communicate these priorities of the United States. He earned a bachelor's degree from the famous Edward R. Murrow College of Communication at Washington State University, and he grew up in a small fishing village of Westport on Washington's Pacific Coast. 
that gave him a keen idea about understanding the life and economies of natural resources and tourism, like the areas that he will have to represent. This background, combined with a proven ability to solve complex problems and manage issues that cut across the public and private sectors, which really require building trust, having diverse stakeholders come to the table, and having people who can help communicate the issues and priorities. Roger's career has prepared him for that role. Over three decades, he has represented clients in advancing global commerce, engagement, and exchange. He is the founder of and CEO of Nias Communications, a leading PR firm in the Pacific Northwest that he grew to the eighth largest Native American-owned company in Washington. He also served as communications director for our former Governor Locke, uh, Seattle Mayor Paul Schell, and advocacy officer for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I think these experiences give him the critical uh, skills as an ambassador to this important area that you and the ranking member just articulated. We cannot leave this to just other nations, particularly China, to uh, advocate. We need representation and to say what the great Americas mean for all of us uh, in the United States and that region. So I thank the committee for this opportunity. Thank you, Senator Cantwell, for that um, strong introduction. And I know that you have uh, other things to do, so feel free to excuse yourself whenever you... Well, unless uh, Senator Risch has any questions for I me. I was actually going to have her put under oath for the questions yes. I had for her. <laughs> I was going to tell the committee that we greatly support moving forward on the Columbia River Treaty. So thank you, Mr. Chairman. She, she would be a, a formidable challenge, I can tell you, Senator Risch. <laughs> oh, how well I know. <laughs> All right, we will turn to our nominees. Um, we'd ask you to summarize your statements in about five minutes or so, so that the committee can engage in a conversation with you. Your full statements uh, will be included in the record uh, without objection. Um, and Mr. Nice, we'll start with you and just go down the line. Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch, and distinguished members of the committee, I am grateful to appear before you as President Biden's nominee to be the U.S. Ambassador to Barbados and six other sovereign nations. If confirmed, I would represent the United States and the American people to these seven island nations. I would like to thank my two senators, uh, Senator Murray, uh, Patty Murray and Senator Maria Cantwell, who you just heard from, for their support and friendship. I'm especially grateful to Senator Cantwell for her leadership and her introduction. I am the proud product of rural America. I grew up in Westport, Washington, a small fishing and tourist town on the Pacific Ocean. Oceans and coastal communities are in my blood. I am the son of a Native American mom and a Norwegian-American fisherman dad. My family fished for salmon, tuna, Dungeness and king crab, shrimp and bottom fish, frequently miles off the Pacific coast for days and weeks at a time. My tribe, the Chinook Indian Nation, is legendary. My ancestors greeted explorers Lewis and Clark at the mouth of the mighty Columbia River more than 200 years ago. Chinook means strong fighter, and if confirmed, I commit to being a strong fighter for the United States, the American people, our shared, our shared democratic values, our strategic interests, as well as those priorities that, that we work on with the Eastern Caribbean. I am from the nation's most trade-dependent state, 
Throughout my career, I've been a strong and effective advocate for international trade and economic development in rural, urban, and diverse communities. Over three decades, I grew my strategic communications business to represent Seattle's most successful and impactful companies, Fortune 500 companies, startups, nonprofits. I advised organizations on how to solve complex business issues, solve crises, and grow their business in the United States and abroad. If confirmed, I'm eager to put my private sector expertise and connections to use for the American people. This ambassadorship is unique in the world, representing the United States to these seven island nations, these sovereign countries, allies, um, right here in our own hemisphere. The countries of the Eastern Caribbean, Antigua and Barbuda, Barbados, Dominica, Grenada, St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia, and St. Vincent and the Grenadines comprise a vital political and economic region. Due to their close geographic proximity and our shared historical and cultural ties, these countries play an outsized role in many important areas. If confirmed, my priorities are clear. First, hundreds of thousands of American tourists visit the Eastern Caribbean each year. If confirmed, my paramount duty will be to ensure the safety and security of these visitors, as well as the 16,000 Americans who call the region home. This includes addressing the Ill illegal trafficking of narcotics, people, and guns in the region. And specifically, I will work to deepen our security and law enforcement partnerships through the Caribbean Basin Security Initiative. Second, I will ensure that the United States effectively competes with the People's Republic of China and remains the partner of choice, the preferred partner in the Eastern Caribbean. These seven countries are on the front lines of Beijing's global power projection through its ever-expanding trade, investment ties, and diplomatic presence as well as the PRC's ongoing push to limit Taiwan international engagement. I will work to be a strong advocate for our positive US agenda and an active and visible countering force to the PRC's efforts. Third, these small island nations are facing unique and evolving climate and energy challenges. I am committed to working with each country on specific solutions employing American technology and innovation and through the US initiatives such as PAC 2030, the partnership to address the climate crisis. It is in our national interest to help these countries become more resilient to the effects of climate change and support their transition to renewable fuels, including by increasing their access to finance. Finally, drawing on my broad private sector expertise, if confirmed, I would support US business interests in the region. I would be their number one advocate and help identify new and expanded opportunities for American innovation and investment. I look forward to leading the strong and experienced team of professionals at the mission, if I'm confirmed, and collaborating closely with this committee and, and your staff. And together, we will advance US interests that benefit the American people in this very important region so close to our shores. I'm happy to answer your questions. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Lempert. Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Rich, distinguished members of the committee, it is an honor to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee to serve as a U.S. Ambassador to the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. I would like to thank the President and the Secretary of State for the confidence that they have shown in me with this nomination. If confirmed, I look forward to working with this committee and the Congress more broadly on U.S. interests in Jordan. Since joining the Foreign Service 25 years ago, I have spent most of my career working either in or on the Middle East and North Africa, including in Iraq, Egypt, Libya, and Israel, as well as in domestic assignments at the State Department and on the national security staff under three presidents. It is impossible 
to sufficiently express my appreciation to my family for their stalwart support throughout my career, especially to my husband, Andrea, who is here today, and our wonderful daughter, Bianca, who's on our sixth grade field trip to New York City, so isn't here, uh, who are most impacted by this itinerant lifestyle, and to my parents and siblings who, no matter how much worry I caused them, serving in a post-war zone and through a revolution, always supported me in this life of serving our country. I want to particularly recognize my late father, U.S. Air Force Captain and ophthalmologist Philip Lempert, who instilled in me a devotion to public service and always believed in me and that I would reach this day. As President Biden has said, the role Jordan plays as a force for stability in the Middle East cannot be overstated. The strategic partnership between the United States and the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan is key to advancing U.S. priorities throughout the region and to promoting regional security and stability. The United States has a profound interest in supporting the political and economic reform agenda laid out by the Jordanian government to address persistent economic, environmental, and regional challenges, from unemployment to water scarcity to the spillover effects of the crisis in Syria. U.S. priorities in Jordan are focused on supporting economic growth, strengthening water security, and deepening our strong security cooperation. These goals are advanced through our new seven-year assistance MOU, which supports key reforms centered on improving the lives of Jordanians, including essential public services, tackling the water crisis, and expanding economic opportunities. Thanks to strong congressional support, U.S. economic assistance to Jordan using fiscal year 2023 funds includes over $1.2 billion aimed at bolstering Jordan's stability and strengthening our partnership. If confirmed, I will work with Jordanian leaders, the IMF, and others to support Jordan's reform and modernization efforts and to ensure that our assistance package is used effectively. As a major non-NATO ally and crucial member of the global coalition to defeat ISIS, Jordan has long been a key ally in the fight against terrorism, while also supporting international peacekeeping efforts and providing humanitarian assistance. Our new MOU includes a minimum of $400 million annually in foreign military financing for Jordan, making it among the largest recipients of FMF globally. This funding bolsters Jordan's capacity to play a stabilizing role in the Middle East. It helps to address emerging threats and ensures continued operability, interoperability with U.S. and coalition forces. Jordan has long offered a refuge to those displaced by regional conflicts and crises, most recently in the extraordinary generosity that the Jordanian government and its people have shown to Syrians. The United States has contrib contributed over $2.2 billion in humanitarian aid to Syrian refugees in Jordan since the conflict in Syria began. If confirmed, I will continue to advocate for humanitarian assistance from our partners and in international fora to promote burden sharing and ensure that we collectively provide for those in need. I will also promote regional integration and support Jordan's important role in contributing to regional peace and prosperity. Next year marks 30 years since Jordan signed its historic peace treaty with Israel. Jordan's commitment to working towards peace between Israelis and Palestinians, as well as partnering with the United States and others to advance de-escalation efforts, is indispensable. The U.S. Embassy in Jordan is among the largest in the world, with a talented, dedicated, and diverse team of American and local staff that, if confirmed, I would be so proud to lead. The safety and security of the embassy team and of U.S. citizens in Jordan including the over 33,000 Americans residing there and the more than 150,000 American tourists who visit annually will always be my foremost priority. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Risch, and distinguished members of the committee, if confirmed, 
I will work to further strengthen the vital U.S.-Jordan partnership and to ensure that it serves U.S. interests and reflects U.S. values. I thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today, and I look forward to your questions. Well, thank you. So far, our nominees have not been infected by the State Department's uh, uh, inability to stay to five minutes, so thank you very much. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Brown. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and distinguished members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear here today as President Biden's nominee to be the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Ecuador. I'm grateful to President Biden and Secretary Blinken for the trust and confidence they have shown in nominating me for this position. I appear before you today accompanied by my wife, Krista. I would like to first publicly honor you and express my deep gratitude and love for you. We began our public service journey in West Africa, where we met in 1991 serving as Peace Corps volunteers, you in Togo, I in Benin. Krista, without your sacrifices, we would not have completed over 30 years of service with the federal government doing the nation's work. So thank you. It's been an honor of a lifetime to serve the United States of America. My career as a Foreign Service Officer has taken me to Southwest Asia, Central America, Africa, and the Caribbean, showing that democracy can deliver. And if confirmed, I believe my experience will serve me well in Ecuador. If confirmed, the safety and security and welfare of U.S. citizens and mission personnel will be my top priority. Ecuador is a strategic partner for the United States in South America as we see democratic governance under pressure around the region. If confirmed as ambassador, I will prioritize strengthening our bilateral relationship and bolstering cooperation with Ecuador, including supporting the U.S.-Ecuador Partnership Act of 2022 and the proposed Innovation and Development in Ecuador Act, the IDEA Act. If confirmed as the next ambassador, I will continue the excellent work of the U.S. mission in Ecuador working with the Ecuadorian government, the private sector, civil society institutions, the Ecuadorian citizens, to advance democracy, promote human rights, and the inclusion of historically marginalized communities, and support anti-corruption and crime prevention programs, and promote inclusive economic development and environmental conservation efforts. As cartels expand their influence, local gangs aligned with them engage in open warfare to control drug trafficking routes. Such rivalries have provoked the worst violence in Ecuador's recent history. With, increase, with increased prison deaths and a record homicide rate in 2022. If confirmed, I will focus on our mutual security interest to combat drug trafficking and associated violence. In addition to these challenges, there are opportunities Ecuador joined the UN Security Council in January for the fourth time as a critical, at a critical juncture in history. If confirmed, I will further our collaboration with the Ecuadorian government in conjunction with our mission to the UN to support Ecuador as it stands for its democratic principles. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and members of the committee, thank you for considering my nomination today. I look forward to any questions you may have. Okay. Extra time, and considering how long you've been in the State Department, you haven't been infected. So, um, 
Uh, next, we'll hear from um, uh, Ms. Saitek. Uh, Chairman Menendez, Ranking Member Risch, distinguished members of the committee, I am deeply honored to be here today and grateful to President Biden and Secretary Blinken for placing their confidence in me to serve as the U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Peru. If confirmed, I commit to working with the committee and other members of Congress to advance the interests of the United States, protect the safety of our citizens, promote democracy and human rights, and strengthen a bilateral relationship that has endured for close to 200 years. As the daughter and granddaughter of career military officers who served our country in World War II and Vietnam, it has been an honor to dedicate the past 32 years of my life to U.S. government service, including as an officer in the Navy. My diplomatic career has allowed me to represent the United States in Africa, Asia, Latin America, Europe, and the Arab world, and to bring American optimism, leadership, and values to diverse audiences. My husband, Gautam, here with us today, has joined me in this adventure and in representing the diversity and opportunity that the United States represents. My daughters, Malena and Sophia, join us in this life of commitment. I am grateful to all three for their resilience, love, and support, as well as that of Gautam's mother, Subhadra Ramnath, who has been an important part to our, of our success. I am honored to have my father, Colonel Michael Siptak, with us today, as I am eternally grateful for his example of devotion to faith, family, and country. I would also like to pay tribute to my mother, Eileen, who I know is looking down on us from heaven. She taught me to love God first and raised me with high expectations of excellence and service. The call to service, specifically the foreign service, is a tremendous responsibility to both advance U.S. policy goals and represent the very best of American values in every interaction, both public and private. And that is my commitment to you, if confirmed, in leading U.S. engagement in Peru. Peru is experiencing a transformational moment in its history. If confirmed, I will ensure the United States remains a steadfast partner for Peru's democratic institutions and the people they serve, prioritizing human rights and ensuring understanding, inclusion, and respect in all interactions. And we will continue to support the people and government of Peru as they work to overcome the current political instability and protect the democracy they have fought so hard to build. Peru is home to many dual Peruvian and U.S. citizens and an important destination for American citizen travelers, researchers, and students. It is also a key economic partner with a two-way trade that surpasses $22 billion and a destination for strategic U.S. investment. If confirmed, I will prioritize the protection of the more than half a million Americans who visit Peru each year. I will also work with the U.S. private sector to promote inclusive and sustainable growth and to highlight the benefits of doing business with the United States. Our companies promote unparalleled transparency, cutting-edge technology, quality engineering, and a commitment to social and environmental responsibility. With Peru, we will continue to advance our shared climate and environmental goals, including the protection of Peru's diverse ecosystems, seek regional solutions to the challenges of irregular migration, and address the scourges of illicit drug and human trafficking and other transnational organized crime. 
I thank the members of Congress for your steadfast support for U.S. aid and State Department programs in Peru. If confirmed, I pledge to continue working with you to ensure that we are good stewards of the resources provided by the American people. I look forward to leading the extraordinary interagency team in Lima and to benefit from the wise counsel of our more than 600 locally employed staff in understanding the diversity of the country and how we can most effectively engage. Our locally employed staff are the heart of our diplomatic missions around the world, and any success I can claim as a U.S. diplomat is due primarily to their devotion and dedicated service. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, Thank you for considering my nomination, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you. Well, this is an all-star cast. Everybody has stayed under five minutes. So, uh, <laughs> Let me, uh, before we start our series of five-minute rounds, uh, ask uh, some questions on behalf of the committee as a whole that we ask of nominees. It speaks to the importance of the committee places on responsiveness by all officials to the executive branch. And I would ask each of you just to give me a verbal yes or no to each question. Um, do you agree to appear before this committee and make officials from your office available to the committee and designated staff when invited? Yes. 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 Yes, Senator. Do you commit to keeping the committee fully and currently informed about the activities under your purview? Yes, sir. Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Do you commit to engaging in meaningful consultation? while policies are being developed, not just providing notification after the fact. Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. And finally, do you commit to promptly responding to requests for briefings and information requested by the committee and its designated staff? Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Thank you all. Uh, for the record, each of the nominees has responded yes to all the questions, so we'll go to a series of five-minute rounds. Um, uh, Ms. Seftak, um, in the past seven years, Peru has had six presidents. Pretty remarkable. The level of political instability has significantly affected not only our efforts to strengthen bilateral relations with Peru, but the ability of Peruvian democracy to deliver results for its people, including ensuring their safety and security. I have one of the largest uh, Peruvian uh, diaspora in the nation, uh, and I hear from them all of the time. While protests against the current Bolate government have decreased since their height in February, President Bolate and Congress remain highly unpopular, and efforts to address citizen demands, including calls for early elections, have seemingly stalled. Meanwhile, the Peruvian people continue to face growing security, economic, and migration challenges. So what is your assessment of the stability and viability of the Bolate government, and what steps would you take uh, to work with Peru to strengthen its institutions and be uh, able to meet uh, the ability to respond to the challenges I've just discussed. Thank you, Senator, for that very important question. So President Boluarte as, um, is in power due to the democratically authorized process in the Constitution, and she is our partner in working to see how the United States can support the government and the people of Peru in emerging from this moment of instability. I think it's critically important that we continue to work with civil society and across the many sectors of, the, of, of Peru to ensure that we understand 
what the issues are at play and how we as the United States can bring our resources to bear to support both the people and the government of Peru in strengthening the institutions that have you know, come into question as to their effectiveness. Um, the U.S. Embassy, and thanks to Congress, we have significant resources in USAID and INL. We have a very strong military relationship. Our Peace Corps volunteers just returned to Peru. So I think we're blessed with a number of resources to really understand what the needs of the people of the government of Peru are and how we can support them. Well, um, one of the issues there is the question of human rights, and I would expect you to be a strong voice in standing up for human rights within the country. Is that something we can um, expect? Yes, Senator. Mr. Brown, last year Congress passed and President Biden signed my U.S.-Ecuador Partnership Act. It's the first standalone piece of legislation dedicated to U.S. foreign policy towards Ecuador. Uh, the U.S.-Ecuador Partnership Act requires the State Department, USAID, and other relevant agencies to submit a comprehensive strategy uh, to Congress on how to bolster our bilateral ties, including on issues regarding countering transnational crime, inclusive economic development, protecting Ecuador's environment and natural resources. We expect these strategies to be shared with Congress in June. If confirmed, uh, do you commit to ensuring swift and effective implementation of these strategies and to regularly meet with my office to discuss progress on implementation? Thank you, Senator, for the question. Yes, to answer it specifically and directly. If confirmed as ambassador, my approach would be a whole of government approach. Uh, the U.S. Partnership uh, Act for with Ecuador, is, it's a very important legislation. Um, the U.S. relationship with Ecuador is strong and the community development work that's going on with the people of Ecuador is strong. Um, strengthening democratic institutions and promoting inclusive economic growth, supporting environmental conservation initiatives and expanding capabilities to address corruption and crime that's going on in Ecuador will be a primary focus. This legislation that you authored, um, Senator, is something that I will be focusing on as I'm, if confirmed as ambassador there, I will be reporting back and I pledge to work with the committee um, whenever possible to highlight our successes of how we're implementing uh, the act. Well, thank you for that. Um, last month I traveled to Quito and met with President Lasso during my uh, congressional delegation to South America. This was my second trip to Ecuador uh, in the last six months. This is the most uh, democratic president uh, aligned with the United States and its values that we have in the entire hemisphere. That's a pretty big statement. But he is besieged, uh, as are the Ecuadorian people, uh, amid rising levels of drug trafficking, violence, targeted killings of government officials, uh, and, and so much more. So uh, if you are confirmed, um, I would ask you to engage in, robustly in how the United States can help Ecuador meet those challenges uh, as a partner uh, in our uh, collective interests. Is that something I can expect you to do? Certainly, Senator. Uh, we do know right now that Ecuador is a strong partner with the United States. Our engagement, whole of government approach uh, from our program with USAID, INL, um, OSC, right now is making inroads to help strengthen some of those democratic institutions. Um, I will be reporting back and 
you can count on me and my team uh, at the U.S. Mission and Quito to be able to respond to uh, all of those elements to help strengthen the security posture in Ecuador. Thank you. Uh, I'll take one other minute. Uh, Ms. Lampert, um, uh, how do, uh, we're both, as, as the ranking member said, we're very strong uh, supporters of, of the U.S.-Jordan relationship. I think Jordan's essential. However, I get concerned that not only Jordan, but others in the region are cozying up to Assad. And it would be a horrific global statement that after the butchery that Assad has been part of, we now in, invite him back without consequence. How do you see dealing with that? Thank you, Senator, for this important question. I want to be clear. Our views on Assad uh, are that he has been the source of nothing but misery for Syria and for the region. Uh, the United States will not normalize with the Assad regime, and we do not support others normalizing with Damascus. We have made this abundantly and vocally clear to our partners, and we will continue to do so. Uh, the United States believes that a political solution, as outlined in UN Security Council Resolution 2254, is the only solution to a political crisis in Syria. There's clearly um, a... Uh, array of views across the Arab world on engagement uh, with the Assad regime. Uh, we remind our partners that our sanctions architecture remains in place and will be enforced in accordance uh, with our laws and also of the, the primacy and the importance of uh, uh, UN Security Council Resolution 2254. Um, in fact, uh, the Secretary of State is speaking uh, with the Jordanian Foreign Minister this morning uh, to raise our concerns and discuss uh, the meeting that occurred in, in Jordan on Monday. Uh, if confirmed, this will be a priority topic of discussion well, some, for me. Some of the statements coming out of the NSC make me worry uh, that we are diminishing 2254. And that's not something we should do. So I look forward to your engagement. Uh, uh, before I turn to Senator Rich, I know you're known to be somewhat of a shawarma uh, aficionado. Uh, and have made the point of publicly sampling shawarma uh, during your travels to the Middle East. Uh, I know this is going to be a sensitive question, but where's the best shawarma uh, in the Middle East? Senator, it's a deeply sensitive question. Um, and you can get me in trouble in the region, but I think it will come as no surprise, given uh, where I have been nominated uh, to head to, that uh, in my opinion, uh, it's a close contest, but Jordanian shawarma is without a doubt <laughs> the best shawarma uh, in very, the Middle East. Very well done. I'm going to ask Senator Kane to preside. He's the chair of the Western Hemisphere Subcommittee as I go to the floor. Senator Rich. Thank you. Um, Ms. Lambert, I, I'm obviously uh, uh, you have as good understanding and knowledge of the Jordanian situation as anyone, and I'm, I'm impressed with, with that here. I'm also impressed with your strong uh, uh, view on uh, normalization with the Azad regime. Um, it, it's dicey, as you know, because there's the, when we talk with the Arabs, they, they are uh, soft on the issue. Uh, they, they think this has gone on long enough and that, uh, that normalization would be good for the, for the region and, and for themselves. Which, frankly, you can understand. Having said that, uh, I think we're a little more neutral on it, and, and looking what Assad has done over the years is just is stunning. Uh, he, he falls in the same category as Hitler, Putin, and, uh, and himself, and some others that, uh, uh, that have uh, done some uh, pretty bad things. Uh, I, 
I, again, I, I hope you will continue to give that strong statement that you have. I, I think that uh, uh, you, you heard uh, the chairman, he and I share the same view on that, that this is, that this is just simply not acceptable to the United States. Uh, uh, these countries are going to have to uh, deal with it as they see appropriate, but it's going to cause nothing but difficulties with us if, uh, if they try to uh, cozy up to this guy that, uh, that can't, can't possibly be accepted into normalcy after what he's done. Um, one, one of the things that uh, uh, another concern we have, uh, as far as Jordan is concerned, is I, I know that you played a leading role in the uh, Negev Forum, and that uh, uh, which grew out of the uh, Abraham Accords, and we're, we're concerned that uh, Jordan doesn't have the warm embrace, maybe that it should. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? First of all, Senator, uh, let me just reiterate on Syria, I'm in uh, complete uh, agreement with you and the chairman, and as you have heard from uh, the Secretary of State, uh, U.S. policy on uh, Syria and on normalization with the Assad regime will not change. Um, with regard to uh, your question about uh, Jordan-Israel relations, I would note that uh, the peace treaty between Jordan and Israel has been a pillar of regional stability for the past 30 years. Uh, there is uh, a strong relationship, uh, a relationship that's not without its strains, uh, like all relationships, uh, but uh, one that, if confirmed, uh, I will work to strengthen uh, and advance. And part of that would be encouraging Jordan to par participate uh, in, uh, among other uh, regional integration efforts, uh, the Negev Forum, which, uh, as you rightly point out, is building upon uh, the uh, historic Abraham Accords uh, in creating a, an unprecedented multilateral framework of Israel and its regional partners focused on uh, further cementing and advancing peace. Uh, it makes all kinds of sense for Jordan to be there. Jordan is the second uh, Arab country that signed a peace treaty with Israel, um, and I will continue to encourage them to do so just as I have in my current position. Well, I, uh, I, I really appreciate that. Um, the, the other thing I think uh, from a domestic standpoint in Jordan, uh, the, the chairman I think outlined as clearly as possible uh, uh, the, the warm relationship we enjoy with the king. Um, obviously because of the demographics in the country, uh, that's not shared by everyone in the country. And I, I, I don't know if you have thoughts on how we can ratchet that up. Obviously he's in a better position than we are to uh, uh, to advance it, but uh, what, do you have any thoughts on that? I'm sorry, Senator, do you mean in advancing the strengthening the U.S.? Our, our Jordanians' view of us. I mean, we, you know, we do a lot for them, uh, but I'm not sure it's uh, fully appreciated there by, by the masses. Senator, if confirmed, I can tell you that that's going to be a, a top priority for me, working with our embassy team, uh, getting out and about in Jordan, uh, explaining... Uh, the role that uh, the United States has played uh, in supporting uh, the Jordanian people, uh, and I want to get the news out about that uh, as much as possible as uh, we work with our Jordanian partners. I appreciate that. Um, Mr. Brown, you, you've got a heavy lift. Uh, the, there, there are things happening uh, in Ecuador that uh, indicate the country's headed in the wrong direction, as you probably know. Uh, their cocoa crop uh, was, was at an all-time high of 500,000 acres. 
uh, in the last crop, uh, this is not a good sign because obviously that uh, the the uh, the greater the drug problem, the greater the problem it is for us, uh, for the for democracy in the country and everything else. And we've we've seen some awful examples of this in uh, on the continent. Uh, what what are your thoughts on this, Senator? Thank you for the question. Uh, if you're referring to the transport of cocaine um, from narco-trafficking networks through, from Colombia and, through, and from Peru, uh, the country is really being impacted. There's no doubt about that. But with U.S. intervention over the past year, Ecuador has been able to seize more cocaine tonnage uh, than it's ever done. Uh, 2022 had record, record seizure, but there's so much more that needs to be done. The instability that's being created in the communities where uh, drug trafficking has taken over, especially in some of the coastal communities, um, it, it is a problem. So if I'm confirmed as ambassador, I want to use a whole-of-government approach, working with throughout the interagency, something I've done throughout my career, to sort of figure out strategically how to engage in these communities, to work with the government and those local communities to... to it's not about just seizing um, cocaine being transported, and it's not just about uh, arresting uh, corrupt uh, people that are involved, involved in narco-trafficking, but it's also about dealing with some of the root problems of why young people are choosing uh, illicit crime and, and, and committing um, these acts and working with the government on that. So you have my firm commitment to help reduce crime and violence that's going on in Ecuador at the moment. Well said. Uh, I, I would say that the record seizures are probably the result of record production. Uh, so that, that, that would explain that. Um, I, I think, uh, again, your focus on that is absolutely critical because the, obviously it's a huge problem for Ecuador itself, but every ounce of that that leaves the country is a huge problem for the U.S. of A. So uh, thank you for willing to serve there, and I hope you'll focus on it. Thank you, Ms. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Senator Cardin. Well, let me thank all four of you for your continued or willingness to step forward to serve our nation. Let me thank your families because it truly is a, a family commitment. So um, thank you very much for that. Um, there's a common thread here for the uh, four nominees that to serve in our hemisphere, and that is, uh, as we've already talked about, drug trafficking. Uh, I was recently in Ecuador, and I, I'm convinced that President Lasso is committed to doing what he can to help in that regard, but he will tell us the challenges he has in his neighboring countries. And we know that the political leadership in our hemisphere is changing, and their view towards drug trafficking has changed. So the challenge is how do we develop a coordinated strategy, including the United States, in dealing with the narco-trafficking uh, that comes through um, uh, our hemisphere. And so I'm going to ask each of the three nominees for our hemisphere, how do you intend not only to work within your country that, uh, that you would be assigned to, but recognizing that we have to establish a U.S. strategy for the region that particularly, I might tell you, in Ecuador is a challenge with the policies in Colombia where they're not exactly in sync as to how to deal with drug trafficking, how do you represent the U.S. interests to be effective in curtailing, 
the amount of illegal trafficking of drugs. I'll start with Mr. Brown, because uh, I think Ecuador, by the way, I think uh, we have a very close relationship with Ecuador today, and, uh, I, I, and I think we can build on that. Uh, so how do, we, how do we deal with that? Thank you, Senator Cardin, for the question. Uh, and to state affirmatively, uh, President Lasso is a strong partner. Ecuador is a d democratic nation, and the Ecuadorian people uh, the, the U.S. and Ecuadorian people, along with the government there, are in solidarity to confront this problem. I think what's really important is that regionally we discuss these issues and have the correct fora to be able to discuss this from country to country. You are right. Uh, there isn't a consistent policy in Colombia and Peru uh, that, uh, that, that impact uh, Ecuador. I certainly pledge as ambassador, if I'm confirmed, to help sponsor any dialogue that needs to be done to help at a policy level and, in, and then in an implementation level to confront this problem. Um, the or, transnational organized crime is crippling a country like Ecuador. They're being impacted and they need additional support. Uh, as long as I, I, I'm ambassador there, if confirmed, um, they'll, they'll get that support. Before I go on to the other two uh, nominees, I just want to underscore that in Ecuador, they are a close ally and friend. They have serious cor uh, corruption issues that they have to deal with. And in all four of your countries that you are being nominated for, uh, we need to make sure that we are laser focused on American values and anti-corruption issues, which are challenging in all four of the regions we're talking about. So I just wanted to make that point. In Peru, you've got a problem of stability on the ground. It's a, it's going to be, it's a challenging atmosphere in which to operate, uh, but it is also a country that has a focus on, on uh, narco-trafficking. What's your strategy? Thank you, Senator. What I'm learning about our efforts in Peru is that the work on coca eradication is holistic, and I think that's important. So not only are we working to help eradicate the crops, but our USAID is coming in to provide licit livelihoods, opportunities for that. Our INL is working on um, community policing, rule of law. So we really have to look at this very holistically. It's not just about destroying the crops. It's about what do we bring in afterwards to make sure that people have the ability to live um, prosperous and secure lives. But for your question on the regional um, aspect of it, you're absolutely right, Senator, and we as the United States have remarkable convening power. And fortunately, we tend to have relationships that can bring people together. And I agree that that is something that we need to be doing just as we are trying to work on a regional basis on migration as well. The other thing I'd note is USAID does have a regional office based in Lima that covers many of these countries. So there's another place that we can see how we can work together. Thank you. Eastern Caribbean, I don't want to leave that out. First, let me just set this up. There, we, we need to be more invested. You're right about China's influence, so we see other uh, concerns. We do not have the support within OAS that I'd like to see with, among the Caribbean states. So we have to invest more in the region itself, but drug trafficking is also an issue within the East Caribbean. Your response? 
Absolutely. Thank you, Senator. And it's even beyond uh, narcotics. It's guns and people as well. And I would say there is a model in the Eastern Caribbean that is working. It's called the Caribbean Basin Security Initiative. And I know that Senators Kane and Rubio recently uh, introduced a reauthorization funding package. That that program is working. It's 13 countries, uh, so it's really uh, Caribbean-wide. And uh, that, from from what I've learned uh, in my briefings, I think that is a, a program that is worth deepening and strengthening. And it's certainly something that, if confirmed, um, I would spend a great deal of time on. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Ricketts. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and congratulations on all our nominees on being nominated for these very important positions. And I want to say thank you for your willingness to step up and serve the United States, and especially to our career foreign service people. I had the privilege as governor to travel on to a number of different countries on trade missions and was always very impressed by our foreign service staff. So I know that uh, whatever mission you end up in, you'll have great teams behind you, and also to your families as well, because I know they all will sacrifice along with uh, you when you're uh, overseas. Uh, Ms. Lempert, let's uh, start talking about uh, Jordan. One of the things that I'm concerned about is the Chinese Communist Party and their expansion around the world has been discussed here today. Uh, the CCP and the PLA have a track record or are tied to Huawei, and Jordan recently chose uh, Ericsson and Nokia to do their 5G network, and this is... Uh, a little courageous, considering that I think both their 2G and 3G and 4G are done by Huawei. And of course, uh, also, Jordan's a partner in China's Belt and Road Initiative, and China has a track record of penalizing people who don't do what they want. For example, when three years ago, Australia asked for, uh, you know, had the temerity to ask for an investigation to COVID in China, China launched a trade war against them. So given the fact that uh, Jordan is such a close ally and has chosen to not use Huawei, what can we do to be able to make sure that they don't face additional economic pressure from the CCP? Um, from the, what can we do to make sure that they don't backtrack on this decision? And how can we support them uh, if there is some retaliation by the PRC? Thank you, Senator, for raising this important topic. The President and the Secretary have been clear. China presents America's uh, single most consequential uh, geopolitical challenge. Uh, the strategic uh, competition with the PRC will be the defining feature of uh, U.S. diplomacy for certainly the duration of the rest of my career and likely well beyond. And there's not a uh, U.S. ambassador or a U.S. embassy anywhere in the world that's not focused squarely on this. And if confirmed, that would certainly be the case for me in Jordan. Um, you rightly uh, point out uh, the decision that uh, Jordan just took. Um, I think what we can do is uh, continue to double down on our partnership uh, with Jordan. Ultimately, our ability to compete with the PRC uh, in the Middle East rests on the continued strength of our partnerships. And for all of the region's challenges, and they are manifold, uh, our deep and decades-long strategic cooperation with our partners across the Middle East, none more so than Jordan, uh, remain an asset that uh, no other country can match. So if confirmed, I would work uh, to remain engaged and focused on limiting uh, China's influence uh, in Jordan. Actually, the, uh, uh, the largest Chinese investment in Jordan is a power plant, the Atarat uh, power plant, $2.2 billion. It's a, uh, a case study in the risks of engaging 
in major uh, infrastructure uh, projects uh, with China. Um, it's mired in international arbitration um, and a case of uh, over-promising and under-delivering. Um, and uh, I think it's important uh, that uh, examples like that continue to be highlighted. We can't be complacent about China, and if confirmed, I will not be. Great. Thank you very much, Ms. Limpert. Mr. Nias, same sort of thing with the CCP in this hemisphere, where we have the CCP making investments, and Ecuador has also got issues, so has Peru. Uh, what I'd like to know is just talking about, uh, you know, going back to 1949 and uh, Taiwan b being separate from the PRC, President Xi has made it very clear he wants to reunify Taiwan with, by force if necessary, and diplomatic relations uh, have been established in many Caribbean countries. However, uh, since President Tsai took over, I noticed that uh, 10 countries around the world have switched their allegiance to the PRC, including Honduras, which cut ties with Taiwan in March, of the, and of the, um, the only 13 countries have formal relations, and a number of them in the Caribbean, including uh, Belize, Haiti, St. Kitts, and Nevis, St. Lucia, St. Vincent, and the Grenadines. Um, what can we do, and what can you do in particular, to make sure that we continue to have strong relationships uh, in the Caribbean, and can we, how can we counter what the PRC is doing with regard to investment? Are there private-public partnerships? What can we do to make sure that we're doing our part to be able to keep those relationships um, you know, focused toward the United States and not the PRC? Absolutely. Um, thank you, Senator. I, I, coming from the private sector, I actually have spent uh, a couple decades in telecom uh, in wireless communications. I worked with Craig McCaw, the pioneer of the U.S. and global cellular yeah. networks. So on 5G in particular, I think that's an opportunity for American companies and allied uh, co companies because a lot of companies don't want to look at these small countries because they're too small to deploy a technology. And so I think there are opportunities for us to look more regionally as opposed to at an at individual co company or excuse me, country level. Um, I do think there's I think the U.S. companies are the best way to compete against China in the, the Belt and Road Initiative um, and, and, and such. These countries are um, small. They're debt-ridden, um, which makes them susceptible to uh, Chinese influence. Um, they also, as you mentioned, there are three of the 13 countries that recognize Taiwan are in the seven that I would uh, be responsible for. And I think Using uh, the U.S., uh, the, the power of the U.S., um, you know, our values, our, our companies, I think there's an opportunity to tell a story and, and to deepen that story and connection with these allies. These are democratic countries. Um, we can do more to elevate the U.S. values and U.S. brand and U.S. companies. Quite honestly, I would be a strong advocate if confirmed for U.S. companies in this region uh, and especially on the technology side. So um, that is really what I would do um, if I'm confirmed. Great. Thank you, Mr. Nias. Mr. Chairman. Thank you to the witnesses. Uh, congratulations on your nominations. It's a great panel. Just a few comments. Then, Mr. Nias, I have some questions for you. So, um, Ms. Siptek Bramnath, uh, what, what a wonderful country, Peru, but six presidents in six years. I mean, it is very, very challenging. It's a very challenging environment, and obviously the, my, my colleagues have asked a number of questions, but, but uh, 
doing what we can do to offer advice on anti-corruption efforts. I mean, it's going to be so very critical to you, and I know you're up to the task. Uh, Mr. Brown, I've been to Ecuador twice in the last few years, and after many, many years of a pro-Chinese orientation, uh, the country beginning in 2021, in, fair, in a fairly surprising election, both at the presidential and the parliamentary level, really embraced a different path, wanting, I mean, having seen the downsides of being too close to China, whether it's shoddy infrastructure projects, drilling in the Amazon, illegal fishing around the Galapagos, I think they realized a different direction uh, was necessary. But I will say I have not been satisfied with the degree of attention that the administration has paid to Ecuador. Um, Ecuador's requests were fairly modest uh, when they embraced a, a much more pro-U.S. orientation, and the requests included were the only nation on the Pacific coast of, of the Americas that does not have a trade agreement with the United States. We would like to do that. Could we be added to a, a trade agreement like the Columbia trade agreement? We don't mind high standards. We just want to not be the only nation uh, not uh, in the uh, the network of a trade agreement, but the administration has been unwilling to pursue that, and I, I think that's a huge missed opportunity. I would just encourage, and I know from your background that you would do all you can to try to attract more attention, and Ms. Lempert, just for you, um, there is a Virginian, a Virgi uh, uh, Virginia family member, Basim Oadala, who is imprisoned in Jordan. Um, under murky circumstances, the, the, uh, our mission in Jordan does have visits with him in prison. His family in Virginia has a weekly call with the State Department to check on him. And I would just ask, should you be confirmed that you maintain communication about the case with my Virginia constituents? Um, Mr. Nice, I want to say to you, should you be confirmed, you'll have the honor of having the longest title of any member of the United <laughs> States Foreign Service. I've been just looking at your name tag, and I would clearly flunk a, 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 an eye chart test, even with my 2.0 reading glasses on. Um, but, it, but it is an important part of the world, and the fact that, that your embassy has such a broad reach, including many different independent nations with a fairly small size, makes it a challenging task. There, there's staffing shortages and morale issues everywhere. Talk about how your own uh, experiences uh, position you to, to manage so many different nations with such a small embassy staff? Thank you, Senator. I, I think it's a great question and certainly one I've uh, had a lot of time to think about. Um, I will say that I'm really um, very excited and honored about this opportunity. I come from rural America, as I mentioned. I grew up in a town of 1,200 people. Um, I know what it's like to uh, be forgotten and kind of left out, and I I spent my career fighting for the underdog, um, and I think these countries are small, but they are incredibly mighty, and they're incredibly important. And I, th I think that travel is a is a big challenge um, for this embassy, uh, getting from country, uh, from country to country. There aren't interconnecting flights that are easy. Um, I think that is a, the biggest challenge for the, um, the ambassador. Um, I do think that there is a strong desire for more engagement um, from the United States and especially the ambassador. And if confirmed, I commit to spending more time outside of the embassy, um, actually in the countries um, and engaging with um, the leadership, but also the civil society. Um, I, I do think that I do, I want to 
point out that there is global attention on this region, um, I think thanks in large part uh, to Prime Minister Mia Motley uh, of Barbados. Um, she has, is not only a regional leader, but she is a, glo a global leader, and I would look forward to deepening that relationship in a bold and uh, um, impactful way if I'm confirmed. Thank you. Well, you mentioned the Caribbean Basin Security Initiative. We voted it out of committee yesterday with a unanimous vote. It's my hope we could take that up on the floor. I think that has been a successful effort. Um, the last thing I'll say before calling on Senator Cruz is there's also a regional security system that's done through the State Department's International Narcotics Con Control Strategy. That has also had some success. Um, the nation of Guyana has recently completed uh, uh, the process to become part of that regional security system. And I would urge you to focus on that, that there may even be some advantages in broadening that regional security system to deal with security efforts in Haiti, for example. So I would commend your attention to that. With that, I will call on Senator Cruz and I will yield the chair to Senator Shaheen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Welcome everyone, congratulations on your nominations. Uh, Ms. Lempert. Uh, I want to start by asking about the case of Alam Tamimi. As you know, she is an FBI most wanted terrorist. She helped mastermind a horrific attack in Israel in 2001. That attack injured over 100 people and killed 15, including seven children and a pregnant woman. The pregnant woman was an American, Judith Greenbaum, one of the murdered children was also an American, Malka Roth. Jordan has for some time been harboring Tamimi and refused and is refusing to extradite her to the United States. They say that our extradition treaty with them is not valid. Three years ago, I questioned our ambassador to Jordan, Ambassador Wooster, about the United States' position on this issue which he answered in testimony to this committee. I'd now like to ask you about your understanding. First, Amb Amb Ambassador Wooster testified in writing that the United States believes the government of Jordan is wrong and that our extradition treaty with them is valid. Is that also your understanding? Thank you, Senator, for raising this important question. Uh, and if I may, I'd just like to begin by acknowledging what a difficult and frustrating issue this has been for the Congress, for those of us in the executive branch, but most of all for the families of the American citizen victims of Ahlama Tamimi's horrific crimes, uh, Malki Roth and Shoshana Judith Greenbaum. Uh, if confirmed, I will do everything in my power to ensure that Ahlama Tamimi faces justice in the United States for her horrific crimes and to your precise question, Senator, yes, that is my understanding. Thank you, and I, I appreciate your strong commitment on this. I can tell you I have personally raised this issue face-to-face -face multiple times with the King of Jordan, and we need to get this resolved. Uh, second, Ambassador Wooster committed to me and to this committee in writing that he would explore all options including and specifically including withholding military and economic assistance from the government of Jordan to secure Tamimi's extradition. I'd like to hear if you're willing to make the same commitment today. 
Senator, I think our relationship with Jordan is multifaceted uh, and extremely important. Uh, there's obviously uh, some issues that we're not going to agree on. Um, I think that what I can confirm to you is that I will do everything in my power to ensure that Ahlama Tamimi faces justice in the United States. As to the specifics uh, of that, I would have to defer to my colleagues at the Department of Justice, as this is a law enforcement uh, issue. Uh, and I'm willing to explore uh, a variety of ways to continue this discussion with the Jordanians. Does that variety of ways include potentially withholding military and economic assistance? Senator, I think that that would need to be weighed very carefully against the range of uh, issues uh, and priorities that we have with the Jordanians before uh, considering such uh, a step, which I think would be profound. Um, I would want to, if confirmed, get out there and, and try and work on this and, and see if we can make progress in other ways. Well, and let me be clear, I'm not asking you to commit today to withholding that aid. Uh, but your predecessor committed in writing that that was one of the options on the table to force Jordanian cooperation. And you said you want to consider it further and consider it with your colleagues. I'm going to ask you to do that and follow up to this, this hearing. I'm going to ask you in writing again the same questions I asked your predecessor. And I very much hope the answer is the same. We need to use every tool we have. And I have no desire to cut off aid to Jordan. What I have desire is to get this terrorist who murdered Americans to face justice. Uh, let me shift to another topic briefly. In 2004, President Bush provided assurances to our Israeli allies about how the United States envisions a final peace deal between Israel and the Palestinians. Specifically, the so-called Bush letters stated that Israel would not be expected to withdraw from all of its cities and towns in the West Bank. And I want to read you part of that assurance. Quote, In light of new realities on the ground, including already existing major Israeli population centers, it is unrealistic to expect that the outcome of final status negotiations will be full and complete return to the armistice lines of 1949. Is it your understanding that these assurances are still the policy of the United States? Senator, the president has been clear that uh, in, as we pursue uh, the goal of a two-state solution, uh, that it would be along 1967 lines with mutually agreed swaps. So I believe that that speaks to uh, exactly uh, the question that you're raising. So is your answer yes? Yes. OK, thank you. Thank you, Senator Van Hollen. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Congratulations to all of you on your, your nominations. Um, Ms. Lempert, if I could start uh, with you. Um, congratulations. Thank you for the points you made in your opening statement uh, regarding uh, the fact that uh, Jordan is a very important partner of the United States, major non-NATO ally. Thank you also for mentioning the issues of the need to move forward on, on political and economic reform in Jordan. Um, also, Jordan's role as custodian of the Temple Mount Al-Hurham al-Sharif. Uh, and the other issues are raised, including the fact that uh, they are right now uh, having to absorb lots of refugees from Syria. 
very important ally at a very important uh, time. Uh, let me just briefly say in response to Senator Cruz, I think it's always been envisioned uh, that any uh, two-state solution would, as you said, involve land swaps. I would also point out that the Bush administration was very clear about objecting to expansion of settlements. For example, E1 specifically, Secretary Condoleezza Rice was very strongly opposed to. Uh, yesterday was um, World Press Freedom Day. And the reports that came out showed that journalists are experiencing increased threats on their life. Uh, President Biden spoke eloquently the other night at the White House Correspondents' Dinner about the need to protect the safety of journalists. So I want to ask you about a case of an American citizen, respective journalist, Shireen Abu Akleh, who was killed uh, in a shooting, by shooting, uh, covering uh, an IDF operation in Janine on the West Bank about a little less than a year ago. Um, at the time, uh, the President uh, made clear and the Secretary of State made clear uh, that the United States was going to insist on accountability, both because we wanted to protect journalists and because we were dealing with a U.S. citizen. In fact, a, a letter that the State Department sent to me and others said, quote, as the President made clear during his visit to the region, we will continue to insist on full accountability of Ms. Abu Akleh's tragic death. They go on to say, in this case, just as with any wrongful death, but particularly of an American citizen, we have made clear that we expect accountability. Um, my question to you is, have we seen that accountability as of today? Senator, thank you for raising uh, this question. Shireen Abu Akhla's death almost one year ago, I think next week it will be one year, uh, was a tragedy. Not only was Shireen an American citizen, but she was, as you pointed out, uh, a renowned reporter who earned the respect of audiences around the world. I was honored to be in the Secretary of State's meeting last year with the Abu Akhla family, where we underscored our, our deepest condolences uh, for their loss. I can tell you that we continue to underscore uh, at, at the level of the Secretary of State the importance of accountability uh, in her killing, and we will continue to do so. No, I appreciate that response, and of course, um, your answer indicates that we have not yet um, seen any accountability in her shooting death. The, the U.S. security coordinator uh, for Israel and the Palestinian Authority um, recently uh, updated his report. He submitted a summation uh, report on the killing of Shireen Abu Akleh. Um, you're aware of that, right? I'm aware of that document. I have not uh, yet seen it myself. You've not yet read it? Well, we requested uh, this document from the administration uh, for well over almost two weeks now. And uh, we were told that they were going to send it back to the coordinator for, quote, technical changes, uh, which they say deal with classification issues, which is fine. I just want to be really clear that uh, we, I, and uh, maybe other members of the committee, want to see that report, and we want to see that report in full without any substantive changes or edits. Can you commit to that? Yes, Senator. Um, I understand that the department has been in touch with your staff uh, about the document in question and is working through those technical issues. Uh, unfortunately, the document is still being reviewed uh, for appropriate classification. 
the administration is working to have it completed uh, as soon as possible. I want to assure you uh, that the department has not and will not make any substantive changes to the document. Uh, the administration is only working to address uh, the classification issue. Um, and again, it's my understanding that my colleagues are in touch with the committee to ensure that you are able to review the full document as soon as possible. Thank you. We look forward to getting it um, right away. Thank you. Senator Shaheen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm glad you're back. Um, so am I. I want to begin by congratulating each of you on your nominations and thanking you for your willingness to serve for those of you who are career um, foreign service officers, for your willingness to continue to serve the country, and for you, Mr. Nihilus, for your willingness to serve as well and appreciate your family's commitments to um, that service. I was in, <clears throat> excuse me, for the three of you who were um, nominated for Latin American countries, I was in Latin America last month with a group, a bipartisan delegation. Sadly, we didn't visit any of the countries that you're being nominated to represent, but, um, or to, to go to, but um, what we did here there was the importance of having ambassadors on the ground from the United States and how important that is in the region, not only for United States interests, but as we're looking at how we offset uh, the influence from the PRC and other um, actors who may be interested in subverting U.S. interests. Um, in this 118th Congress, we've only confirmed three ambassadors, so um, I do hope we can move your nominations as quickly as possible. One of the other things that we heard on that trip was the, the interest in on the part of um, those countries in doing business with the United States in um, improving our trade relations and encouraging the private sector to um, look at Latin America as an opportunity to invest um, that sometimes has been overlooked. So can each of the three of you um, who are going to Latin America have confirmed, can you speak to how you see we might better um, encourage those trade opportunities and other economic um, opportunities with Latin America. And I'll start with you, Ms. Sipthak Ramuth. Perfect, thank you. <laughs> um, well, we are fortunate to have a free trade agreement with Peru that we signed in 2009, and thanks to that, we have seen uh, an increase in our trade from $9 billion to $22 billion and we are continue to be the top investor in Peru. Clearly what our private sector needs are transparent and level playing fields, and what, if confirmed, I would do as U.S. Ambassador to Peru is to continue to work with the private sector to make sure that we are making the case for U.S. business. There, we have competitors, and we have competitors that may have low costs now, but in the long term will have very high costs for the people of Peru. So if confirmed, I commit to working with the private sector to make the case for private, for, for U.S. businesses and U.S. investment. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Brown. Thank you, Senator. If confirmed as ambassador, I certainly will be doing my hardest to promote U.S. enterprise, uh, U.S. companies engaging in Ecuador. I think, it's, I think it's very important 
Um, there's no doubt that U.S. companies efficiently and effectively produce results on the ground. Um, I will be working with the Ecuadorian government to understand uh, how best we can collaborate and promote American enterprise uh, in, in Ecuador. I think that there are clear examples from an infrastructure perspective where the government in the history has chosen uh, PRC-led activities, and we know that the debt structure, the financing, and the actual uh, infrastructure construction, um, I think that there are doubts about the effectiveness of uh, PRC's results. So all we can do is promote American companies, and, I'll, and, and if confirmed as ambassador there, I'll be a champion for those initiatives. Well, thank you. I agree. I think we heard some buyer's remorse when we were um, visiting. Mr. Nihilus. Thank you, Senator. This uh, question is very close to my heart. As a uh, private sector business leader, I um, see business as a critical element um, in any ambassadorship, but especially for uh, mine, if I'm confirmed. Um, I have worked in all the sectors that matter to this region, from technology, global health, finance, and energy. Um, these are areas where I will deploy my connections and, um, and my uh, quite honestly, my communications abilities, I think, to promote U.S. goods and services. And I think just to remember, it's not just products, it is services. It's banking. Um, that's a, much needed in this region. So I would certainly look forward to hosting trade delegations. I think uh, my friends in Seattle who are watching right now are probably already planning one, uh, uh, if confirmed, of course. Um, and I would welcome uh, congressional delegations as well because I think folks avoid this region because it is a beautiful place uh, with sand and sun, and so there are perceptions of, oh, let's not go to the nice place. But these, um, these countries are on the front lines of climate change, of the China influence. So I think it'd be uh, welcome to have you uh, come and visit. Well, thank you all very much for that. Um, I think Latin America offers a tremendous opportunity in our own backyard, and we need to do a better job of taking advantage of it. I'm really pleased that legislation I sponsored with Senators Durbin and Bozeman was included in the um, Western Hemisphere Partnership Act that we passed out of this committee. It's designed to double U.S. trade to Latin America. So um, hopefully that will help you as um, you take over these responsibilities. I, I have um, one more question, and this one also is for you, Ms. Siptak Ramnath. Um, Peru's government faces challenges with drug trafficking, money laundering, and transnational crime, and um, last December, an arbitration tribunal adjudicated a claim brought against the government of Peru for lack of payment on Peruvian agrarian reform bonds. I'm, I assume you're familiar with this case, but um, the tribunal ruled that Peru must repay Gramercy Fund Management the property um, the properly updated value of the matured land bonds. And I raise this because this is an issue that affects U.S. pension funds, um, including in New Hampshire. Unfortunately, Peru still has not paid the arbitration award. If confirm confirmed, will you commit to raising this issue with the government of Peru and to keeping Congress updated on the progress to get this um, settlement paid? Yes, Senator, I will. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, two last questions. The rest I'll submit for the record. Uh, Mr. Nihilus, uh, I heard your, your opening statement, and, uh, one, but one of the challenges we have in the Caribbean uh, is the challenge of China. 
and of the Caribbean nations voting in ways uh, that are contrary to where I think they should be in terms of alignment at the OAS uh, and other uh, international institutions. Over the last decade, the United States' uh, complacent approach to the Caribbean has created a power vacuum, allowing China to assert its influence at the expense of our national interest, security, prosperity. Um, China has become one of the largest trading partners for many Caribbean nations, allowing it to further expand its predatory economic practices. Um, nevertheless, the United States continues to fail to dedicate sufficient resources and attention to the Caribbean nations, particularly those in the Eastern Caribbean. So uh, if confirmed, what steps will you take to strengthen our ability to compete with China in the region? How will you strengthen the visibility and impact of U.S. diplomatic efforts, not just in Barbados, but across the Eastern Caribbean? Thank you, uh, uh, Chairman Menendez. This is uh, a topic that will be one of my top priorities if confirmed as ambassador. I come from Seattle. Uh, uh, as I mentioned in my statement, we are the most trade-dependent state in, uh, in the nation. Um, so we know a lot about China. Uh, we see it in, in action in our community. We are engaged. I worked uh, uh, for a friend and mentor, Governor Gary Locke, who was the nation's first uh, Chinese-American governor. I traveled to China with him uh, on trade delegations. I um, have had a lot of experience with China. I think you know a lot of these small countries um, see this uh, you know, easy Chinese money um, as very enticing, um, and I think part of the job of, of the ambassador is to um, ensure they know what they are getting uh, for their uh, for their increased debt, um, and also uh, showing some alternatives. And I think that you know the U.S. private sector. Um, I think we don't have a lot of U.S. government money to give around uh, like the Chinese do, but we certainly have an incredible. Uh, private sector that I would like to see us promoting more in the region. And again, not just as a one-off for a small nation, but looking at it more holistically, like in the 5G rollout. So I think the power of communication is also um, really incredible. I hear that a lot from uh, from the Post, that, that having someone with uh, my background as a professional communicator, a PR person, I actually know how to generate interest and uh, advocate for, um, for American companies. I've spent 30 years doing that. So I look forward to, um, I think, deepening the connections with these countries and the leadership, but also introducing them to um, the great US industries that are out there that may not look at these countries right now because they're so small. Well, I appreciate that, but uh, one of the things I really would like to see uh, upon your confirmation is a robust engagement, particularly at the OAS. Uh, these countries have an equal vote as anybody else in the hemisphere, but they consistently vote against uh, our positions. And we are consistently seeking to try to help them. So something is a disconnect there between our desire to help them and what we do and they're voting uh, in adversity to, to our interests. So I, I hope that you will make that a priority. Absolutely. Senator, I spoke with the ambassador to the <coughs> OAS yesterday about this very topic and yeah. would look forward to partnering uh, with him. Finally, Ms. Lempert, uh, before I turn to Senator Haggerty, uh, Jordan has um, uh, been an important advocate for calm stability, particularly given its role with respect to the holy sites in Jerusalem. 
uh, its hosting of the recent Aqaba meetings with senior officials from the U.S., Israel, Egypt, and Jordan, and the PA went a long way towards easing tensions. How <clears throat> do you evaluate the current state of relationship between Israel and Jordan, and uh, what steps can you take as ambassador to bring Jordan into the negative forum? Thank you, Senator, for the question. The peace treaty between Israel and Jordan has been uh, a pillar of regional stability for the past 30 years. Um, that said, there's always room for growth, uh, and uh, if confirmed, that would be something that I would uh, definitely want to uh, work together with uh, Jordan on. I think there's a variety of um, uh, interesting avenues to pursue. Project Prosperity, uh, the water for solar uh, deal, uh, between the UAE, Israel, and Jordan uh, with U.S. support is one such example of, I think, very interesting uh, way to take advantage of increasing regional integration and move forward uh, economic uh, uh, initiatives. Uh, I, I do think that Jordan belongs in the Negev Forum. In my current capacity, I've made that point uh, to uh, Jordanian officials. If confirmed, I look forward uh, to encouraging them to do so. Uh, I believe that as the second uh, Arab country to make peace uh, with uh, Israel, it, it makes absolute sense there's an empty seat at the table uh, of the Nega Forum uh, where Jordan should be. Um, and this is a uh, very interesting, uh, um, uh, new uh, multilateral uh, grouping, uh, building on the Abraham Accords that really can advance uh, peace and regional integration, but also cooperation regionally on these transnational issues such as water, food security, health, uh, energy, and I think it would really behoove Jordan uh, to be there. I think it would uh, benefit them. Um, I, I, at the risk of taking too much time, I'm sorry, but I also very much agree with you about the important role that Jordan played in convening uh, the meeting in Aqaba. Uh, in February, and then there was a subsequent meeting in Sharm el-Sheikh uh, in March, and we're looking to uh, uh, work with our regional partners, uh, Jordan chief among them, uh, to continue uh, those meetings because it's very, very important to help de-escalate tensions. Thank you. Uh, Senator Haggerty. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'd like to stay on the topic of Jordan, if I could, Ms. Lumpert. Um, is border security important? Senator, uh, thank you for the question. Uh, more security for Jordan or? Border security. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Yes, Senator, border security is very important. Do you support physical security measures like border walls? In Jordan, Senator? Let's stay on Jordan. Uh, I think I would uh, have to defer to the Jordanians whether they think that uh, such uh, measures Well, we're be spending useful. American taxpayer dollars for border security in Jordan. Are you familiar with the President's budget request? I am, sir, in terms of uh, moving forward border security in Jordan, yes. $110 million is requested in the fiscal year 2024 budget to include border security for Jordan. And you, you request that, you support that request. I just want to make this clear. I do support that request. Okay. Um, hasn't the United States government built a giant wall along Jordan's border? With, on the border With between United Jordan States and... taxpayer dollars, has the U.S. government built a wall along Jordan's border? 
the U.S. government has worked with Jordan to enhance uh, its border security in a variety of ways, Senator. Let's be clear. U.S. taxpayer dollars have been deployed in this regard. Is that correct? That is correct. And as uh, our nominee, uh, you'd be responsible for overseeing future funding in this regard. Is that correct? That is correct, Senator, if confirmed. In fact, the omnibus last year provides for at least $150 million for border security in Jordan. It's a large amount of taxpayer dollars. And if you think about the purpose of this, is to provide physical security, to keep people from illegally crossing into Jordan. Isn't that correct? It is to provide physical security uh, to stop uh, drug smugglers, uh, to deal with the threat of uh, Jordan's uh, neighbor, Syria. Uh, obviously, the conflict there uh, continues, and it's a, it's a dangerous neighborhood. Well, I would think that if the funding request that's been put in place uh, for, the, for the coming year is the size it is, there must be a belief that this sort of funding is important and that this sort of physical security is effective. Is that correct? In the Jordanian context, uh, I, I do believe that that is correct, Senator. Well, you've been very clear to talk about this in the Jordanian context. I just think it's an important lesson for us to learn as Americans that we're spending United States taxpayer dollars to support border security in a country that we're trying to build stronger relations with. Uh, I think we ought to be learning a lesson ourselves because there's not a penny in the president's budget to support our own border security here. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you, Senator Haggerty. Uh, I'm almost enticed uh, to follow Senator Haggerty down his road, but I'm not going to. Um, I know Senator Rich is very happy I'm not going to do that. Uh, we, we, we should have a discussion about that at some point, which I would enjoy. I always appreciate my colleagues' um, insights. Um, the record for the hearing will remain open until the close of business on Friday, May the 5th. Um, please ensure that questions for the record are submitted no later than the close of business Friday. I would say to our nominees uh, that uh, as soon as you get assuming you get questions, I'm sure each of you will have some questions, uh, for the record, to answer them expeditiously, because the quicker you answer them and the fuller that you answer them, you know, and, and you know, it's sufficient to be responsive to the question, not just to highlight it, but be responsive. Otherwise, there'll be a, a, a reiteration of the question. Uh, the quicker we can consider your uh, nominations before the business committee uh, hearing of the of, of the Senate so we can vote on your nominations and send you to the floor. With the thanks of the committee for your testimony and your service, this hearing is adjourned.